Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of The Everyday Millionaire. As always, and before I introduce my next guest, I like to start by first thanking you sincerely for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to remind and I'm going to encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at RainCanada.com. We love to hear from you. I love to hear from you. So please feel free to do that. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share the show with your friends, your family, people you know, people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And as well, why not follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page? So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. Okay, so let's get this show started, shall we? I'm joined today by entrepreneur and business owner and coach, Nikki Ballou. And I want to just take some time to really set Nikki up in terms of his background. Now, Nikki is an international best-selling author of the book, Finish Line Thinking, which is how to think and win like a champion. He is the founder and co-host of his podcast, a top podcast in the world for thought leaders called The Business of Thought Leadership. And aside from being a business owner and entrepreneur, Nikki's an, an accountability coach at Finish Line Thinking, where he guides, inspires, energizes people to be their best selves. He works with entrepreneurs and professional salespeople, including top real estate agents and real estate investors who want to be held accountable for producing top results. He offers a very unique system that teaches you how to think and win like a champion when it comes to achieving your goals. He's worked closely with Olympic champions, Donovan Bailey, for example, Mark McCoy, three-time ultra-distance Guinness world record holder, Teresa Dugwell, just to name a few. He's discovered along the way that these champions hold the recipe to the secret sauce, if you will, which is how they think. Vicky coaches others how to be a top performer by developing the right mindset. He's an NLP master practitioner, a leader at Sterling Institute, Landmark Education, and he's magna cum laude, a graduate of the master's program at the Ivy League Georgetown University in the United States. He is a father of two wonderful boys. He gets fired up about his passion for supporting the success of others. 
And I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with Nikki. I know you're going to enjoy it a lot. Let's welcome Nikki Ballou. Nikki Ballou, welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Excited to have you on the show. We uh, have known each other in the past and uh, have some relationship from the past. So this is like time to get caught up. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Patrick, it's an honor to be here, man. I'm pumped. Me too. Actually, I'm just really stoked because I know you got some cool stuff going on. I want to find out more about that. And uh, so let's kick it off with a little bit of a question that I like to ask just to give the listener a opportunity to go, who the heck is this guy? Do you have a 30, 60 second elevator pitch if I say, Nikki, what are you doing these days? Absolutely. So Patrick, what I do is I help coaches, consultants, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs add an extra 100K to a million dollars or more a year to their income while working 10 to 20 hours a week less by positioning them as the go-to thought leader or authority in their space. So those are big, I guess, goals or achievements to, you know, or lay claim to in terms of what you want to do. So that's cool. That's appealing. Now you used coaches and entrepreneurs, so you're supporting them in growing their businesses, whether they're, now is, is it coaching as in I'm a entrepreneur coach, or is it just business owners in general and coaches? Most of our clients tend to be like coaches, like executive coaches or business consultants or corporate trainers, or some of them do relationship coaching, fitness coaching. We do have the odd entrepreneur that actually owns a, a company with employees, so we had a lady who, um, she owns a company called Equine Wins. She basically teaches uh, people how to be better in teams through the wisdom of horses. She's a bit of a real-life horse whisperer, you know, like that movie. And she's got employees and whatnot. We've had a few other people that have owned, a, you know, a five, ten-person company. And we do want to help them if they understand and buy into thought leadership as a way to help them stand out in the marketplace. And we're absolutely ready to help them. But most of the people that come to us, these are people who are solopreneur types. They are just a coach with maybe an assistant or two people at the most uh, in terms of their staffing. And the business is them and their thought leadership. Our focus is utilizing your status as an authority, your expertise, your thought leadership to help take you to a whole new level. That's really cool. You know, and not to go down a tangent or a rabbit hole. So as soon as I hear equine and horse whisper, so I don't know if you know this about me, but my backgrounds of hobbies is is horses and natural horsemanship. So although my no way, that's cool, yeah man. yeah yeah, so I spent many years doing you know training horses. So as much as I can ride horses, my equitation skills are quite limited. Really, I mean you know it's not like I'm out there doing dressage and stuff. Sure. And but I and I ride well. And my favorite is like I ride bareback because I'm too lazy to put a saddle on a horse. But often sure, often sure. mine is just I'm about groundwork. I'm about getting a horse you know, really, really comfortable and problem solving with them. And that's the reason that's interesting to me is because it's about communication. And with horses, it's always about communication. And so what she's got going on there is really, really cool. So that's a total different tangent and I won't go on that. I just give you a little bit of background. So that's oh, cool. I love it, man. That's awesome. So that's cool, Nikki. The, the, so tell me a little bit about what kind of, you know, what's your path to this current journey that you're on and Give me a little bit of background of how this showed up for you as something that you wanted to take on. So, Patrick, when you and I first met, um, I told you that I was going through a divorce at that time. So in 2009, my then wife, seemingly out of the blue, decided she didn't want to be married to me anymore. And it was uh, a shock to me, to say the least. 
and um, put me into a bad space. She and I owned a business together. I did health and fitness coaching and she did executive coaching. So we had the Baloo group and that was all about it. And we were making good money, you know, close to 200K between the two of us. And uh, uh, we're paying down our mortgage. We were doing some cool stuff. And then so when she left, I went into a tailspin. I lost most of my clients. My business went down to like about very little. Mm-hmm. Let's just leave it at that. And um, I blamed her. I was a victim. I was in a really bad space. And uh, I tried to do a few things. When you met me, I was you know, helping a, a business associate of, of yours with something, something that I was good at, but it wasn't my, biz- my main business, wasn't necessarily what I wanted to be doing. And uh, that, for a while, it seemed to go well. But even with this individual, it didn't end up going uh, the way uh, I was hoping it would go. And, and, and it was just a sign from God, if you will, or the universe, although I'm a believer in God, so I'll say God, that this was not the right path for me. And I got involved with some men's work, uh, an organization called uh, Sterling Institute of Relationship. And the Sterling Institute of Relationship helped me see that it wasn't my wife's fault, that the responsibility lay with me. And um, I, I've been someone whose patterns in the past, like many people, has been to blame others. And now I'm, I've been working a lot on myself to blame others less and take more responsibility onto myself. Hell, today, before we got on the phone, early in the morning, I, I drove off into the roadway uh, and uh, um, to the, I turned left and a car hit me. And you know what? He was going fast, but it was, it was my responsibility. I went left. He had the right of way. So at the end of the day, I could go and make a case for that, but it was my fault and uh, my responsibility anyways, we probably share some of it, but it's on me and I'll, I'll do what I got to do to make this situation right. And learning that was powerful for me. Secondly, being in health and fitness was something that I just kind of felt wasn't the right thing for me anymore. You know, so I saw a man do a talk, a man by the name of Bill Bishop here in Toronto, and it resonated for me that I, and it just made me feel like I needed to hire him to go to the next level. And so I went to him at the end of his talk. And I said, I think I need to hire you, Bill. And he said, well, I charge five grand for five hours of my time. That's my minimum fee. And man, that was that was more money than I had seen in a long time at that point. You know what I'm saying, Patrick? Sure. So I told him I don't have it, but he did me a favor. He said, look, I know you don't have it. I could tell just by the way you approached me. But he said, listen, you and your success can be determined by not your level of resources or lack thereof, but by your resourcefulness. And if you're resourceful and you want this, you'll find a way to come up with the money because I'm not going to do this for less than $5,000. And I'm like, okay. And I came up with the money. I went and I made some people an offer of the century and I sold them really, really good deal packages. And I gave them a part of the money. And then within 30 days, I gave them the rest. So my income went from, you know, high four figures, low five figures to six figures in less than six months because of what I did. And that was powerful. That was a powerful lesson. That was what brought me onto this path. And there I started to coach people. And that's when I ran into the fellow that I started E-Circle with, Michael Palmer, the co-founder of E-Circle. And uh, for a while he was, uh, you know, um, he was also my co-host on the podcast. Because of him, I, I learned about thought leadership. Because of him coming into my life, we built a business. We created a whole infrastructure and we started to help people. And, you know, this fellow really showed me a new way to do things. And my eyes were open as to what was possible in business. And my income continued to grow. And then I was fortunate. I started to work with some people within this program that he and I developed and also one-on-one that needed help. And I found out what my superpowers are, Patrick. So I'm really, really good at bringing intensity 
energy and meaning into any relationship. So if someone's a business owner, whether they're starting out or they're already very successful, if they get together with me, I'm going to bring them intensity. I'm going to bring them in touch with the meaning of what they're doing. And I'm going to bring them massive accountability and responsibility. And that has helped me help a lot of people succeed. And so doing this for the past couple of years, last year, Patrick, it's been the honor of my life that I helped three people add a million dollars to their annual income. Like, that's crazy, right? I mean, that's a lot of money for an average person who didn't start out with any advantages to add to their income. And then I helped another 14, 15 people add between 100 and 300K to their income. And in a nutshell, that's my journey. So that's cool. So there's lots of places I want to go with this conversation. You've opened up a number of doors for me to go through and topics to go down. And as you talked about helping others, I mean, as you know, Rain is about, we're really a giant coaching program, education about teaching people how to invest in real estate, you know, financial certainty by design. I mean, there's just no better business model in the world than supporting others to be successful. I like it myself. I think it's cool. (laughs) It's cool, isn't it? I mean, there's just, you get up in the morning and you actually are a contribution to others. It isn't navel gazing. It isn't about you. And yes, we get to benefit financially from it, but that's not the driver. If you can focus on what it is that you need to do to help other people, that's a really cool place to go. It is a really cool place to go. So there's in that a couple things that, you know, I also picked up on in this whole conversation that I want to talk to you about is, you know, thought leadership to me is, you know, it's becoming one of, or it's become a bit of a, I don't know, I don't want to call it a catchphrase, but I'll use that phrase right now because that's all I got is catchphrase. But I'd like to know, what does thought leadership mean to you? When you talk about, and you use the term thought leadership, do you have a definition for it? I do. And it's not my own. It's actually one I picked up from uh, Matt Church. Matt Church is from Australia, actually has been a leader in the forefront of defining thought leadership and commercializing it. He has a program there called Thought Leaders Business School. We license elements of that program and we, ha- we, we uh, you know, uh, and, and use it in, in teaching our, our clients uh, and Michael is a big part of that. And he says thought leadership is, is this. An expert, Patrick, is someone who knows something. A thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. I love that. But is that different than being an authority? Well, an authority to me is someone who knows something and has established themselves with some credibility around it but they're not necessarily known for it. A thought leader is known for it. An authority could be a thought leader. And, uh, you know, all thought leaders are definitely authorities, but an authority is not necessarily a thought leader. Got it. When we look at the work that we're doing in terms of supporting or the work that you're doing in supporting others, I know it seems to me, once again, this is where I want to dig in a little bit with you, is that you do a lot of work around or with men. Is that is that the case or is that just my perception of the work that you're no, doing? I do a lot I do a lot of work with men. Most of uh, most of it uh, for the last several years has been on a volunteer basis, although recently I've started to do some professionally as well. On a volunteer basis, Patrick, what I've been doing is I've been involved with Sterling. Uh, Sterling has a, a a program that it's not theirs but they encourage us to run it called the Point Program. So when a man does their Sterling Men's Weekend, the Point Program is 8 weeks of intensive immersion in the material. Right. And uh, it's almost like you're a Navy SEAL going through training. I mean, it's not the same physical rigors, but it's the same mental and emotional rigors. 
You're called upon to step up bigger. You're challenged, challenged to be the baddest ass version of yourself that you can be. And so I've been doing that sort of work as a volunteer. And in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm just wrapping up a point program right now that's been going extremely well. But I've also started to work with men professionally. So two things I'm doing that are really cool. One is I'm helping men, Patrick, who like me are separated fathers whose wives left them. Over half of all families with children go through uh, separation and divorce. It's a sad, sad statistic. And then over two-thirds of those, the wife leaves. So the men who go through this, women are way better at coping with it than men are. We don't usually have the support networks to help us go through it. So the men who go through this, they feel devastated. They feel victimized. They are angry. And sometimes they don't get over this for years, decades. Even some people never get over it. And that's horrible. It affects them. It affects their children. It affects their wives, quite frankly. What I do inside my program, which is all about making their life great again, I borrowed that from Donald Trump's Make America Great Again. I think it's a fabulous slogan. Make your life great again is I help these men get over it in weeks or months. I get them to a point of power in their life. I've helped some men actually even get back together with their wives. I got to tell you, Patrick, I'm really proud of that because that means those kids don't get to be in a broken home. They get to be in an intact home. And if you look at the statistics, Patrick, at what happens to children from broken homes without the parents doing heroic things to make sure it doesn't happen, it's just horrendous. You know, they're 1,100% more likely to engage in criminal activity, 1,200% more likely to do drugs, 600% more likely to either become pregnant or get someone pregnant. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough, tough stuff, you know? So what I'm trying to do here is make these men be powerful. So if it's at all possible, they can get back together with their family and their wife. But if it's not, have them be able to move forward powerfully so they don't lose the divorce, they win the divorce, not in the sense that she loses, but in the sense that they don't lose their integrity, they don't lose their wallet, and they don't lose access to their family. That's what I mean by win the divorce. And that's what this program's about. And I'm really proud of doing this for men. The other thing I'm doing for men is I've just started it, and tentatively, the name of this program is Balls on the Line. And Patrick, it's something I've come up with with a Sterling man. And what we're going to be doing is, in July, we're going to the, to the Alberta Rockies. We're going to take a group of high-level men. These are all successful men, say from their 30s to their late 50s. And we're going to have them learn how to do wilderness mountain climbing so they're not distracted by anything. I'm going to give them some powerful content, but they're going to learn by experience. It's like no classrooms, no boardrooms. This is all powerful men being challenged to have that warrior side of them come out and learn some powerful things they can take in their life. So when they go back to their life, their relationship will rock better. Their business will rock better. They'll have a confidence in who they are as a man that they wouldn't otherwise get. So these are the two things I'm currently professionally doing for men in addition to what I do for thought leaders. I'm really excited about both of them. Oh, I can barely tell. So awesome, Nikki. That's really, really cool. I want to come back to this conversation because it's of high interest to me. You know, I, I, you know, I hear some of the language that you're using about in the world of development is, you know, blame not blaming, taking responsibility. What role did you play in the breakup of a relationship? For example, it's easy to blame the other person. There's those conversations. Taking responsibility for what your life looks like and what you want it to look like and then actually 
being who you need to be to have it look the way you want it to look and, and show up the way you need to show up. You know, you talked about the revenue that you supported others in generating for themselves and growing their business, you know, one to 200 to a million dollars of increase in revenue is, is not a small feat to support people in achieving. And that's for, good stuff. Yeah, that's really, really cool stuff. And, and for me, in, in terms of the, even the, as I shared with you, the concept of, you know, the everyday millionaire is, is really talking to just ordinary people who achieve extraordinary results. But as important to that is actually for a listener on the sh- to this show is actually putting them into the space where they're going, well, is this is interesting. There's others are doing it. I can do it. And what's what can we learn from it? Now, I'm going to come back to this, Nikki, but I also know that people who achieve extraordinary things like yourself, there's a history, there's a background, there's a journey that got you to where you are. And I know we, you know, we kind of entered the conversation at your divorce, but I want to go back a little bit for you. Tell me a little bit about you growing up because you've become a true, true leader. I mean, you're passionate, obviously, about the work that you're doing with men and women, but with entrepreneurs, coaches, you're fired up about helping people let's talk about your journey in terms of how you even came through this. I mean, you're still a relatively young man and that's how I look at it. <laughs> I'm turning 60 in July. So, you know, listen, if you're under I'm 60, 50, you're young. <laughs> I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your growing up. You know, what, what, was there some background in your growing up that that you can reflect on or when you look back, go, sure. this is how I got here. So my father um, was an entrepreneur. He um, he owned companies, and you know, once he told me he had like forty employees, and he was proud that he helped feed forty-one families. Right, that was a big deal to him. And my father was a man's man and a ladies' man. <laughs> you know, when he was young, God, this guy before he got married to my mom, apparently every woman in the world was attracted to him and they threw themselves at him and he wasn't a celebrity, which is kind of crazy. I wish I had that talent when I was single. But anyways, he was also a man's man. He did what he said. He, he was straight up, took no guff from people. And he, a lot of what I learned about how to be a man was from watching my father. And my father also loved the movies. And he and my uncle his brother took me to a lot of movies with Hollywood. There was a period where they made movies where they actually were pro-masculine men and, and masculinity. And, and it's, it's a sad thing that they're not anymore because I think masculinity is a wonderful thing. And masculine men are, are what built the world, quite frankly. It's, it's not about putting them down. It's about lifting women up and men up. But I digress for a moment. He took me to see movies with people like John Wayne, Charles Bronson, Clint Eastwood, you know, and I just loved them. I loved who those men were. I loved how they uh, modeled being a man. Like every movie that John Wayne was in, you know, you basically saw him treat people in a certain way, never back down from a fight, you know, keep his word. Like it was just cool. It was like how to be a man 101. No, no, it wasn't real life. It was a movie, but you know, it was also storytelling, and that's a big part of how we learn. So for me, those movies really helped me understand the kind of man my father was and the kind of man I wanted to be. Now, I know a lot of it was make up, made up and made believe, and I wasn't going to go out pulling guns and shooting people or anything like that. But I did like the aspects of keeping my word, 
I did like the aspects of treating women a certain way. You know, I did like the aspects of seeking to be a provider, seeking to protect, uh, you know, the innocent and the weak. That kind of thing really, really helped me. And then my father being a businessman, I mean, it was just natural. I admired the guy. I more than admired him. I adored him. You know, I worshiped the ground he walked on. So if he was a businessman, I wanted to be a businessman. You know, so those are the kinds of things that helped shape me. And I went to school and I studied all this stuff, you know, in university. For my first couple of years, I messed around a bit. But in year three, I knuckled uh, down and I got serious. And my grades rose from, you know, a 2.5 to a 3.5 and then 3.7, a 3.8 and a 4.0 when I did my master's. And, you know, it was all, all basically from family, from dad, from mom, from aunts, from uncles. and. That's why I'm such an advocate for families staying together now. That's why I believe that even if a man can't get back together with his wife, they could still create maybe a family unit where there's respect and love and all those values get passed down to the next generation, Patrick. These are the things that have helped shape me growing up. When you're looking at your parents and the interaction and the relationship that your mom and dad had, do you look back at that and go, that was a cool dynamic? Or do you look at it now and say, hmm, I see where there was some rough spots? Or are you able to look back at it? You know, because we look at it often through, no, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to say we. I often hear that we can look at relationships of our parents kind of through rose-colored glasses, or we look at it the opposite. And what have you learned from your parents in, in regards to relationship? Because I want to have a little bit more conversation around relationship, but I, I think we can go down a path of, what role did your mom play in all this? Listen, my mom and dad, their relationship had good points to it and they had rough points to it, right? They would argue and fight from time to time, but there was love there too. And in this day and age, if they if they met now, I think they'd probably be divorced in five years. But back in those days, That's people didn't get divorced. Sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, they had a vision for the kind of children they wanted to raise. And that vision they were completely aligned on. They had a like we were born in Iran and we went to Western schools, American schools. We, we traveled abroad. We, we were, we were, we were told we were special and that we, we were going to achieve a lot and we were expected to achieve a lot. And that came from my mom and dad and, uh, you know, the relationship that they had, but it, it was not, it was not idyllic all the time, but it was not a hellhole all the time either. It, it was a relationship where there were two people who had their own issues that came together. There was love there. Um, there was a common vision on the kind of family they wanted to build, and they did really well with that. There was a kind of vision on what they wanted their children to get in life, and they did really well with that. And at the end of the day, for that, I'm very grateful. You know? Yeah. Very, very grateful. I don't think it matters what your upbringing is. You learn from it. You know, we can look at it and assess it or judge it as good or bad, and we can use it as an excuse. But ultimately, it's what created who we are and the future that we have for ourselves today. You know, there's some interesting work that I've done over the years in relationships and the impact on kids. So uh, I ask you the question, you know, cause you, you talked about it and I don't want to go down this path too deep, but I think it's just an interesting topic, which is where do you think you learned how to be a man? And if I was to assess what you talked to me about, it was really a lot of what you learned how to be a man is through, through your dad. But if I rephrase the question and say, where do you think you learned how to treat women? What would your answer be, Nikki? Well, you know what? All that was from my father as well uh, and the other men in my family. And, you know, and all the things I saw growing up, 
uh, around me. But as I said, also in the, in the, in the movies with these masculine men, I learned a lot and I read books and, and uh, yes, there was an element of, of story to them, but there was also an element of truth to them. There are things I learned about how to treat women that were really great. Uh, frankly, a lot of men have lost that. You know, I'm a gentleman. I'll give a woman my chair. You know, I'll hold the door open for a woman. Um, I'll say please and thank you and ma'am to women. Uh, and a lot of men today, they've lost that, that aspect of gentlemen. Now, part of that's the society and the culture has changed, but I, I think men should adopt that. I think being a gentleman is a good thing for every man to have uh, in his life. I'm certainly raising my sons to be gentlemen. And then as far as the rest of it's concerned, things that I learned that, that worked inside the relationship were those. But my father was also a hard man. He was a tough man. He'd argue and he'd fight. And the tolerance of women today for that is a lot less than it was in his generation. And um, you know what? Those are probably some things I learned that didn't serve me as well. It's not that he did something bad or wrong. It's just what he knew and what he did. Uh, and I didn't know any better. And a lot, a lot of the problem today, Patrick, is men don't know any better. Men aren't being taught what it is to be a man. They're kind of fumbling around. They're lost. They're trying to figure it out. And they're screwing up a lot. Mm-hmm. You go into a relationship, here's the deal. One of my friends, Avi Nakash, he created a distinction, which I've applied to other areas, called amateur versus pro. And that comes from Stephen Pressfield. Stephen Pressfield wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. He also wrote the book, The War of Art. Just amazing guy. He wrote Turning Pro. And the distinction between amateur and pro, and an amateur dabbles in stuff. A pro takes it seriously. And in relationship, I would argue that we men are amateurs and women are pros. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. men go into the most important relationship of their life, their marriage, as an amateur. And there's pro women there who love you, but let's face it, they're also ready to hold your feet to the fire and tear a strip off you. And if you aren't treating it like a pro, you're going to lose the game. And men lose the game, brother. It's interesting. So I'll go back because you've got two sons. It's interesting in the work that I've done, and I see it, and I also really, really get it. Men, so boys, learn actually how to treat women from their mothers and the significant females in their life. And that may sound a little odd, but the truth is, is it goes back to even some of the points you've just made, Nikki, which is how you, tr- how you treat your wife is observed by your boys. And I'm going to write that down. And Patrick, what, that's <laughs> yeah, because here's the truth is they look to their moms and they, if, if, if mom accepts how she's being treated by dad, Guess what? That whoa, yeah. that's how I'm gonna that's how they grow up to learn how to treat women often. Now there's no absolutes in this conversation. I just know that women have a big responsibility to take a stand for how they are going to be treated by their husband, especially with sons, because that's where sons learn how to treat women, is what their moms will accept in how they're treated by their husbands, their fathers. It's an interesting dynamic, and gosh, we can go down all sorts of stuff, but I, I've just learned and seen this happen so many times in my life, have had these conversations probably hundreds of times now when people are struggling with their kids and the realization that mom is not taking a stand for how she wants to be treated, and what their sons do is then go out and treat women that way. And by the way, statistically, women who, or sons, I should say, who are of alcoholic fathers will often go down that direction or a 
abusive women will go that direction because moms accept that. If if their mother didn't fight back, didn't leave the relationship or whatever that story is, guess what? In their world, that subconscious behind the scenes is where they develop and how they come out. So that's just a, a whole side conversation, which is something to ponder and to discuss. But ultimately, that's that's I've seen that many, many times. And so I give that to you as a tool to think about. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I will think about that. There's there's a lot of truth to what you say. Yeah. No question about it. Big responsibility for moms, <laughs> which they got anyways, right? So Yeah, I, I, I think that in the case of my boys and their mom, I mean, they know from me, I respect their mom and that they also know that they're to respect their mom. Like last night, you know, their mom came with the boys to my place to pick up some of the boys stuff before she took them over. And then she was going to get out of the car. I said, no, 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 no. That's why you have sons. And I, I said to my boys, get up and go get your stuff. I'll make your mom do it. Mm -hmm. And they got out of the car and they did it. You know, and she was like, oh, I got to learn how to think like that. I go, yeah, you do. <laughs> but, you know, what's really cool about all the work that you're doing around this, Nikki, and, and some of the work that, you know, I certainly like to coach when I'm working even with my entrepreneur and uh, real estate investor, you know, Rain member clients, is that it's an awareness of who you're being. You know, that becomes that ontological conversation of who are you being? Are you really truly aware and mindful, thoughtful? of who you're being and how you're showing up and the impact that you're having. And it has to matter because of who we are and how you're built. For example, we often will think that everybody thinks that way and it's just not true. And that's why you're doing the work you're doing is bringing people's awareness in your case, uh, men's uh, awareness to who they're being and how they're being and how to create a great life is not necessarily natural. It's not the thing. It's just, this is the way I am and this is how it's going to go. And, Sadly, that's often where a lot of society lives. That's my own view of the world. It's not right or wrong. It just is. No, very true. Very true what you're saying. Okay, so you went to university. You had a great upbringing. You're, what does your dad do as an entrepreneur, by the way? Did he own several businesses, one business? was it? What was his journey along that? He invested in real estate, and he owned um, an import-export company primarily based in Iran. He also owned a sun tanning salon. So that he, he was in a bunch of different things. He... Um, the one major piece of real estate that he invested in, thankfully, is still in the family. It's a mixed-use building in Toronto. It's probably worth, I don't know, two, three million bucks. And that was part of his legacy, you know? So you've done this work. Now, along the way, you've, you know, we've had, you have life's challenges. Life shows up and does what it does. Do you have a particular, I'll call it, you know, what was the biggest failure, if you will, that actually when you look at it now, turned out to be the biggest blessing in disguise. Do you have one of those? Honestly, it was a failure of my marriage and my relationship. I mean, as I said, I, I wouldn't wish the divorce. And if I could have had it not happen, I would have had it not happen. But it's it really brought out masculine qualities in me and made me a stronger, better man and made me a stronger, better entrepreneur as well. By far, it's been the toughest thing I've gone through by far. It has turned me into somebody who complains a lot less, takes action a lot more, and moves forward. Moves forward. In your development of yourself, because really the most work we can do is on ourselves as leaders, as men, you know, being thoughtful, being mindful, actually being conscious of defining who we are as men, 
and as leaders. Is that something that is a daily practice for you? Are you always looking at in your own development? Because you're, you're actually coaching and working with men. How much of the work are you doing yourself and what kind of work are you doing in your own development as a person, even as, being a man aside, just what kind of work are you doing with yourself in, in the leadership? I do a lot of work on myself. I mean, I've been on a men's team since 2011. I'm taking what we call a walkabout for six months. For, uh, but every two weeks, we've gotten together inside that team. And, and you bring in, you bring the work to, to what's going on. You bring your issues and you get feedback from the men. I have two coaches that I work with right now. Interestingly, they're both of their names are Mark. <laughs> so <laughs> one of them is Mark with a C and the other with a K. Mark with a C, he, um, you know, he's an amazing man. Uh, he, he worked with the largest transformational leader in the world. I'm not allowed to say who he is publicly on the air, but I think you can figure out who the largest transformational leader in the world, both physically speaking, as well as in terms of his reach and his business and all that. And he helped this man add a, a hundred and fifty million to his business in five years, and he's working with another fellow right now by the name of Russ Rufino, uh, and he helped Russ Rufino uh, add ten ten million plus to his business in just over a year and a half. And their plan is to go to a hundred million. This guy is legit. He's hardcore. He he coaches me and he gives me stuff every week. And the other coach I have is Mark McCoy, Canadian Olympic gold medalist. And I hired him. Uh, I do fitness stuff with him, but I also hired him for mindset. Um, and the, the the thing I thought about was, you know, if someone wins an Olympic gold medal, that's an unbelievably crazy goal. You know, that's a goal that is a pipe dream for most people, but he won it. So I want to know what mindset hacks he has that I can bring to what I'm doing in my life, in my business. So I get coaching from them every week. And then um, for the last eight weeks, nine weeks, I've been leading this point program and we have to teach these men certain distinctions. And before we teach it to them, we got to take it on ourselves. So I do that every week. And my better half right now, she is a, uh, Anthony Robbins master results coach. And I'm in a relationship with her and she's, you know, she's, she's bringing stuff to me of where I'm screwing up as well as where I can be better. She also works with me in, 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 in the business and all of that. Uh, so she's, uh, she's fabulous. And all these things are part of what I do for myself. And on a daily basis, I'll show you, Patrick, I got this thing here. Uh, this is a, a, a daily gratitude book. I write six things I'm grateful for every morning and three things I love about other people. And the six things I'm grateful for, they're the same six things and have been for the last month and a half. So those get imprinted as though they're already real. And then I got this thing that, uh, again, the Mark with the C told me to do these things, uh, a, a brag book. I write things I'm proud of every day. Mm. And they aren't necessarily things that happen every day, that day, but they are that. And then I got this 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 journal that I write in every day. I, I, I just get into, you know, body, mind, spirit, soul. I read books. I'm, I'm, I'm reading a couple of really, a few cool books. Reading this book, Subtle Art of Not Giving a, an F. Yep. I'm reading The Way Way of the Seal, super book. You want to get Mark Devine on your podcast. I interviewed him. I'm reading Larry Wingett, The Pitbull of Personal Development. I'm also, I, I, read, I read a lot of fiction. I believe fiction, fiction soothes and enlivens the soul. So I'm reading Mary Doria Russell. This is a book she wrote about the gunfight at the OK Corral, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and all those guys. 
So these, these are the kinds of things I do on a constant basis. And then in coaching my people, I create intellectual property. So, you know, um, this methodology, the folks in Australia taught us, this is, this is some cool stuff. Um, this is a, a pink colored sheet. It, it helps you create intellectual property. So doing this work has me get my thinking all straight. So Patrick, it's kind of all day. It's 24 seven for me. My, my biggest challenge is turning it off, man. I had to turn it off enough to, you know, just have some downtime because of what I do and what you do, you people like you and I, and Don Campbell, we, we, we can't help but work on ourselves because it's we're we're, we're servant leaders. We're here to make everybody else's life better. And the only way we can do that is if we keep becoming sharper, smarter, stronger, better. You know, it's uh, interesting. So as you're flashing your books and your journals up, you know, my practice is reading journaling every day. Uh, I also do my physical workout. Interesting is that uh, you mentioned Mark McCoy and I haven't talked to him for a while, but uh, I got to know Mark McCoy because we crossed paths in the industry when he was a mortgage broker for a time before he got and opened the gym. So, uh, really have a lot of respect for Mark and, and, uh, we had one. Mark's the, good coach. He's Patrick, a great coach. If you ever want to, I'm not just about fitness. Like yeah, yeah. if you or someone on your senior team really want like that mindset to go to the next spike, it's unreal what he brings to the table. Nobody else thinks like these gold medal guys do. And Mark, I'm teaching him how to kind of, you know, do the nuts and bolts of coaching, but he brings that mindset, those ideas. They're unreal, Pat. Like, I highly recommend the conversation. You should put him on the podcast, and you might even want to talk to him about doing some work with well, him. I'll totally invite him on the podcast. i got to reach out to him. I'll give you his new number because he moved to Arizona, and he has a new number, so I'll make sure that I forward that to you. That would be great. Appreciate that. Now, interesting about that, of course, is with – you know, I've worked with athletes all my life, really, because of my business in Edmonton around uh, my retail stores, working with NHL players. But Stephanie's actually heading to uh, the Olympics this weekend. So she's got uh, a team there as a, you know, she's a mental performance coach, has done that. This is her second or third Olympics. And so we've been fortunate to work with athletes at that level. And to your point, there is just nothing like having a conversation with somebody that can be that laser focused. I'm actually have a have a conversation, uh, a, a podcast set up interview with a guy by the name of Leon Taylor, who won the first medal for Great Britain in synchronized diving. He's 40 now. He went to the Olympics three times, brought home a, a, a medal, but it was the first medal for Britain in uh, I think, Jesus, since 1940 or something like that. So I'm going to have a really cool conversation with him. Now I got to know him by training with him. And got to understand and see just, it was really amazing that level of intensity or focus and uh, what they had to do to get there. So I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. So thanks for uh, reminding me again of Mark McCoy. Now let's go back to something, you know, when you're doing all the work, you're immersed in it. And this is a, I want to say it's, I don't want to say it's a challenge for me, but I, I do know that some things show up for me is around success. How do you define success? That's a great question. So look, the politically correct answer is not what I'm going to give you. I'm going to tell you what I really think success is, at least to me as a man, okay? It's definitely, definitely means being able to take care of the, for the people I love so they want for nothing. That's a big part of it. So money and finances are a part of it. I know it's politically incorrect to say that, but I believe it is. 
And for me, it's very, very important. But success to me is also being healthy, is also having a, a body and a physicality that work. Success to me is raising two sons and turning them into two great men who are net contributors to society and are living lives they love and doing doing what they want to do and, and reaching their full potential. I have these conversations all the time, and I, I just find that success gets really... Here's, here's how I, I'm going to give you my kind of view of the world on success. Sure. And, and just, it's just a real, just kind of a quick overview. I break down my life into seven areas. Okay. So familial, vocational, spiritual, mental, uh, physical. And so I did break it down into seven areas of, uh, and I look at those seven areas and I go, because if I look at my life and I only say my success is based on my, on, on income or on the money I'm making, gosh, you know, that's, I'm painting my whole life with a, a brush called I'm not successful because I haven't made money. If my marriage is broken down or I'm going through a tough time vocationally or health-wise, gosh, if I if I painted my life and success around just sure. that thing. So I break it down. So for me at any given time, I can look at my life and go, if I look at those seven areas of my life and I consider them buckets, how full are they? You know, how do I rate them? Whatever that might be, I can look at my life and I say, gosh, you know, right now my life is a 10 out of 10 across the board or it's a 10 out of 10, but you know something, I got to get my health picked up or, you know, something I'm struggling business wise, but the rest of my life is awesome, but it doesn't, it gives me, it compartmentalizes for me where success lives. So it doesn't just live in money. It just doesn't live in my family. It just doesn't live in my health. I can actually compartmentalize it and not beat myself up incredibly well. So I don't know if that's a mental game that I'm playing with myself, but that's how I view success. You know, I look at a, a whole big picture, break it down. Do you want me to rank where they are for me? Money isn't the most important thing that defines who I am or I, I think ought to define anybody, but it's up there. I just, I hear so many people talk about success these days and it's one of my pet peeves and they don't even mention money. They don't even mention success that way. They go, oh no, I just want this. And I'm like, that's not true. I, I want money. I want to be successful. I want to take care of my family. I want to be able to provide them with nice things. You know, I want to be able to go on a cool vacation first class and lie on a nice beach and have a butler serve me. Those kinds of things are fun for me, you know? Uh, but the most important things in my life are my health, number one. That's number one. If I don't have health, I can't, I'm useless to myself and everybody else. Number two, it's, it's, it's my family, my children, my, uh, my, my woman, my uh, extended family. Number three, it's my friends, the people that I care about and I love and I adore. Number four, I, will, I have a mission to serve entrepreneurs and I have a mission to serve men. Those are extremely important to me. And then after that comes money. You know, if, if I if I'm winning at the first four games to some degree and I'm not winning in money, it's not great, but I still feel successful. But I don't want to pretend that money isn't important. Like for me, it's definitely important. And I just hear too many people these days going around and acting like being a business owner, being a business person isn't about making money, because to me, it absolutely definitely is. It's just not the only thing it's about. Right. I think there's a, you know, in, in terms of the question, you know, we go back to how are we defining success? That's just the question. So, you know, what I've learned over the years from my perspective, and this is just a discussion, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. It is whatever it is for you, right? It is what it is. You sure. know, I, I just, you know, I remember, I, you know, many years ago I went, uh, I was invited on a, and I, I share this story. It's called the King of Spain story, right? And I've shared it many, many times which is to say I went on a trip with a very, very wealthy friend of mine. You know, he's probably, I think his 
business was generating a million at the time, a million plus in income every day. And so I'm in, I'm on his sailboat, his $5 million sailboat. Stephanie and I are on his $5 million sailboat. And we had gone to um, the, the Caribbean and we we're island hopping and, you know, St. Bart's and St. Kitts and Montserrat. And we we're like, really, you know, we have a crew serving us drinks and serving us food. And one day he says to me, Brian says to me, he says, hey, guess what? The King of Spain's boat is in port. Do you want to go see it? And I, you know, I have zero interest in it, really, but I'm going, sure. So we throw the skiff overboard and we go over to check out the King of Spain's boat. And as Brian's taking me around this 200-foot sailboat, Brian's giving me the lowdown on it. And he says, this boat is, I don't know what the number was. It was 18 million or 180 million. It doesn't matter. And he says, the guy has seven of them. And I went, really? Seven of them? He goes, yeah. He goes, he's probably never even been on this boat. And that's not including what art he has in there and all the things that are going on, what it takes to operate these boats. And he said wow. to me, he goes, how much money do you have to have, do you think, to have seven of these boats? Like just hanging out. And in that moment, it struck me and I laughed. And Brian, who's looks at me, goes, what's so funny? And I go, you know, on any given day, Brian, I wake up and I go, you know, Patrick, you've done okay. You've got a great life. You've made some money. Your business is being really quite successful. Awesome. You're doing really good. Then I come hang out with you for three weeks on your freaking boat. And I go, oh my gosh, I've accomplished nothing in my life. And then I realize that you're comparing yourself to the King of Spain. And so when it came to assessing success by money, guess what? There's always somebody that's going to be doing better. And so, no, no, no. So this is, I know where you're going. This is just my story that, that I share with you when I hear about the money conversation around success. And I realize, like you, Stephanie and I love to enjoy great vacations. You know, we like to stay at five-star hotels. We like to travel business class. And so we work to do that. And we love that lifestyle. And we love to be a contribution to others and, and do the charities that we, we do. But when I look at my, and how I define success for me, was to look at it holistically. And I, so I'm always curious when I'm talking to other leaders of how they define success for them. I think it's of interest to people because we can get caught up in our own dogma of what success is. And sometimes it's just a way to expand on it. So that's why I think it's an important conversation. You know, agreed. And thanks for bringing that up because a long time ago when I was younger, I used to compare myself to everybody else's success and I'd feel good or bad depending on how much money I made. Mm -hmm. And just a short while ago, out of doing the men's work, there's men I've met in our community of men who don't make a lot of money, but boy, do I admire the hell out of them, you know? And in many ways, I want to be just like them. And it that just brought to me something that it's not whether I'm where I stand in the hierarchy of, of success among men and women that matters. It matters how I'm doing compared to me, compared to the, to the vision I have for how I want to provide for my family. And if I'm winning at that game, good. If I'm not winning at that game, then I got work to do. Love that. The awareness is there. So when you're coaching, because you work with so, you know, you're working with a number of people that you work with, is there a common pattern you see? Is there something that shows up for you often in terms of the work you're doing with people that is where they get in their way or they're, they're not achieving what they want to achieve? Is there something that shows up for you on a regular basis? Absolutely. There's a number of things. First and foremost, far too many people just don't believe in themselves. 
they have a vision. Their vision is whatever it is. It's they're at X. They want to be at 20X, 50X, 100X. And they don't believe in that. And they they have a story going on that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. So a big part of what I see is they need help with their mindset. We need to get them to believe and see the value that they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Helping people overcome that, Patrick, is a big part of uh, you know the value proposition I bring to the table. Because if I, let's say I was working with you, let's say you came to me and you said, you know what, Nikki, I'm I'm kind of wanting to do some independent thought leadership stuff on my own, and I want to take what I'm doing from X where it is now to 20X in the next three years. Here's what I would here's what I would do. I would ask you questions to help me ascertain whether you actually believe that was possible for you. Because it doesn't matter if you're making 20 million a, a year. If you don't believe you can make 100 million a year, there's a problem. You know what I mean? And that's the first step that I focus on when I work with a client. The second thing is this is hard to um hard to appreciate perhaps. But so many people in business don't like to sell and market. It's unbelievable. They don't like to pick up a phone. They like to like do Facebook ads and hopefully magically sales will rain down from the sky. And I got news for people. That doesn't work like that. You need to learn how to sell. And selling to me is an act of deep love. That's some independent thought leadership I've created that I sell to people that I love. I find something to love about the people that I'm going to work with. Can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. The reason most people in business who don't like to sell, don't like to sell is because they think it's slimy. They think that you have to put something over someone to sell them. You have to be inauthentic. You have to be a, a liar almost to get a sales done. They don't want to be that person. They believe they equate sales with that. So they're like, I don't want to be that person. So they look at sales that way and they don't want to sell. And they're uncomfortable being in front of somebody. What if that person thinks I'm slimy? What if that person thinks I'm trying to put one over them? I hear that over and over and over and over again. Wow. And that mentality, Patrick, gets in the way. Like, look, if I wanted to do business with you, Patrick, I love you. You're a good man. You're a man I respect. You're a man I admire. You've helped a lot of people. And if I were to work with you, those things alone would go, I got to help Patrick. Patrick Patrick does so much for people. Helping him be able to do more, it's like doing God's work on earth. And of course, I'll get compensated for it. That's part of, as you said, that's part of what has to happen in an exchange of energy. But that's the first place I go. And my entire context for that conversation would be, how can I serve Patrick from a space of love, from a space of helping him be the best man he can be, the best entrepreneur he can be, and achieve this goal? Because I know that anything Patrick does is just going to help a lot more people. And if I come to the conversation and I speak to you like that, you're going to feel it. You know, you're, gonna, you're not going to think this guy's being slimy. He's trying to put one over me. He's trying to sell me. He's trying to get a transaction. You're going to think this guy gives a, gives a shit. You know what I mean? And maybe we'll do business. Maybe we won't. But at the end of the conversation, you're going to be left with, wow, that's a good man. That was a great call. And that's how I want to be treated by anyone who's trying to sell to me. And that's every human being has that capacity. Every human being can come from love, can find something to love about the person in front of them. Listen, you're someone's son. 
you're someone's husband, you're someone's brother, you're someone's business partner, you're someone's coach, you're someone's mentor. I think of you that way. And that's what I try to teach people to do. Think of their prospects in that way. And if you do that and you come from there, then the the likelihood of a sale is higher because if it's appropriate, if what you do will really serve this person, then of course they should do business with you. But if it's not, you wouldn't even dream of doing business with them. You just tell them, I'm not the right person for you. You need another direction. And I have a couple ideas to take you there. And that's what I mean by sales is an act of deep love. I love the conversation around people in sales in, in the world of real estate, of course, there's sales as a realtor, there's, you know, and there's raising capital as a joint venture partner. That's a sale. And, and that's really that's a, sale. a sale. Here's where I see people get in their way. Number one, what you're talking about when you're talking about deep, deep love and value is that, is it an integrity based sale? Number one, if you're having a conversation with somebody that you believe your product, your service, your uh, relationship is of value, it's integrity based. And if you can walk up and say, you know something, this person really seriously needs this. And I know that this is something that will support them. Guess what? But here's where I see with salespeople and I see it and I'm relating it once again to joint venture is there's often a block around, am I really a value? Am I being a fraud? Can I really deliver on this? It's more about them than it is even the product, for example, or the service that they're providing. I run into that all the time too. And that's the whole, the initial conversation I had with you. Am I worth it? Am I, yeah. Is what I'm asking for, am I worth it? Yes. So if, if the answer in their head or in your head is no, I'm not worth it, then it's going to be difficult for you to charge appropriately. And that's a problem because if you don't charge appropriately for the value that you bring, your client will not receive the full benefit of that value. Let me say that again, because it's so important. If you don't charge appropriately for the value that you bring, your client will not get the value that they ought to be getting from your service. If you don't get what you should get, you won't give what you should give. And that's wrong. You're better off charging your client a premium price because they'll value it more, they'll be serious, they'll take action, and they're going to think of it as something worthy. While if you don't, they're not going to value it. I have gone to friends of mine, Patrick, and offered to work with them for free because they're my friends, right? People I've known for decades. And you know what, Patrick? Within two months, every time they've quit. Yeah. And that free solution that I gave them cost them their dream, cost them the ability to have a spike in their success. While the person who cannot really even afford it, quote unquote, that I say, look, I'm charging you 50 grand for one-on-one work with me, and they pay that 50 grand, they're going to get $500,000 worth of results out of it because they're going to value that. They're going to go, I paid this guy 50 grand. I'm going to show up with bells on. I'm going to get my money's worth versus I bought his $15 ebook. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I read the book. Sure, that was kind of cool. Here you go. Toss it away. Well, it goes back to even your own experience, you know, years ago when you ran into the coach that said, you know, I charge five grand. And no, I'm not for five hours for, <laughs> for five, five hours. hours and you had to go do it. And what did it do for you? Right. You step up and you take it to the next level on a sales. Some of the top performing sales guys that I know, what I've learned about them is they're so driven and passionate about what they sell. And uh, a friend of mine uh, who's brilliant, like he was so heads and like so far above his sales team 
that that he I mean he was in another stratosphere and nobody really knew what he did. But his belief in his product was so strong that if he heard a no, it in his head, he shared it with me. In his head, it computed to, oh, you're just not understanding me. I'm not communicating clearly enough for this client because he believed so strongly that this client needed his product that he couldn't hear no in a way that shut him down. He could only hear no in a way of, oh, I've got to just say it differently so he hears me differently. Amazing. And he just takes responsibility for communicating. He goes, obviously, I'm not doing a great job of sharing with you why you need this product. Let me take a different approach. And he was just, he was sold that that client, he was sold on the client needing it so strongly. That's how he went. And when I look at Rain members in terms of the joint venture, the guys who raise capital and have great joint venture relationships and great joint venture partnerships, number one, they don't take every joint venture that comes along. Number two, they're so convinced that the joint venture is, is so important for the person that they're dealing with that they can only hear it that way. So it's just a shift of how you're approaching it. Now, they'll walk away from a deal because they're going, you know something? This product isn't right for this person. It would work for them. It'd be great, but it's not. I can't get lit up about it. You know, I can't feel walk away feeling, wow, that was awesome. That's going to change this person's life. So it's just an interesting perspective and view of the world when it comes to owning who you are and believing in what you're doing so strong, which is what I hear from you. Is <laughs> you're pretty, uh, you're pretty fired up about what you, uh, what you're, what you offer, what you do, and I think that's absolutely incredible. Honestly, uh, Patrick, I am. And I, I mean, for anyone who is an entrepreneur who depends on their expertise to make a living, what we have to offer really will completely transform their experience of their life and their business. And they'll be able to add so much more revenue to their business and they'll be able to serve people at a better level and feel good that they're getting paid what they're worth. And I believe in that so strongly that I think everyone who's in that space needs to know about what we do and they need to participate in, in, in this program if they're serious about taking their business to where it deserves to go versus someone who's just dabbling in it. Dabblers aren't a good fit for us, but people who are serious, they need to know about what we do and they need to come see us ASAP. Cool. So as we wind down kind of the show, I, I like to get into a little bit of uh, twisted questions. We often have heard the question of, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self knowing what you know today? That's easy. Yeah, yeah. One is get into business for yourself way sooner and be willing to fail. Do more personal growth sooner. Work on work on yourself. Uh, take responsibility for your life 100%. Don't blame anybody but you. You are in charge of your life. And learn how it is to be the kind of man that can... Um, attract and keep a good woman and keep a family together. That's the advice I'd give and keep like a 20, at 20, I was still very hard into fitness. I would do that as well. But those are the things that uh, I'd continue to do that at that age. These are the things that I would add. I think if I did that, I would have been multimillionaire uh, in my twenties and I would have uh, been able to uh, get married and keep a family together. Uh, and I'd have been able to uh, make a bigger difference for a lot more people. So that's actually a pretty common question. Thank you for that answer. Now, here's the twist. What advice would you like to give your 65-year-old self? Keep working out, man. Keep <laughs> eating healthy. Yeah. Keep eating healthy. Don't fret over shit so much. You know, relax. It's not that big a deal. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, listen, um, I don't know when this is coming out, but uh, I, I've been 
I won't go into full details, but I've been in a situation uh, today that I just completed some negotiations in a, in, in a business situation. And uh, at first, uh, things were, uh, you know, we, we decided we were going to do certain things differently. And we thought, I thought we were on the same page, but then we weren't. And the negotiations got a little testy and I got a little upset and that kind of distracted me from doing what I needed to do to grow my business. I'm looking back at it as, you know what? I should have just gone to this point of decision way faster. Like, don't mess around. Don't stay in that crappy headspace. Get to the decision headspace way faster. To that point, it's interesting. So if I was to, you know, just listening to some of the things that we've talked about today, you know, your marriage was a fork in the road for you. Uh, Perhaps having that coach that you paid five grand was a fork in the road because, you know, if you wouldn't have done that. When you look at it, is there any other... Does, when you look at this new negotiation that you did, and and that could be another fork in the road, do you look back and see some of the forks in the roads? Is there a, a, one that really stands out from you aside from the marriage or the coach, for example? Is there forks in the road that really stand out for you? Sure. When I was uh, 14 years old, my family moved us to Canada. You know, we I lived in the Middle East and then two years in Greece, and uh, I left a lot behind. But we had an opportunity to be in a free country. I, I mean, I can uh, I can. Uh, Tell Justin Trudeau he's a, he's an asshole <laughs> and not go to jail. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> That's a wonderful thing. And I I got to expand my intellectual horizons in a, in a free and fair society. And I'm forever grateful for that, sir. We live in the greatest country. And and I, I, I want everyone who lives here, whether you're born here or you're an immigrant, to understand how wonderful this place is and appreciate it and strengthen that. When shit's hitting the fan. Like when, you know, when the world seems upside down to the degree it is for you, what's your self-talk around that? How do you deal with when it's just like, holy cow, nothing seems to be going right? Well, you know, in these negotiations for a little while, it was like that. So I, um, uh, I tell myself I got to do a pro there's a program called the Hoffman process. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I I did it 10, 15 years ago and probably have said hundreds, I've sent hundreds of people. So, so Jennifer Blake is now one of the clients inside my, um, my uh, thought leadership program. That, that's so hilarious. That's awesome. There you go. Yeah. 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 So she's, uh, we, we helped, she closed four clients in one day yeah, through yeah, our yeah. coaching. I'm so yeah. proud of that. It was so great. So, so I did Hoffman and, you know, I've been doing recycling processes, right? Sure. Like these patterns, yeah, like, yeah. like been doing that like crazy. I do transference, like let go of that. So I do Hoffman. When did you do Hoffman? When did you, when call. did you do Hoffman? I actually did it in uh, November 2016. Okay, great. So it's still, still fresh. That's awesome. Love still it. fresh. Pretty fresh, yeah. That's probably the most powerful body of work that anybody can do. You know, I, I agree. You know, that, Very that, powerful. That changes you at a cellular level. It does, at a cellular level. Yeah. No, pro- no question. So yeah, yeah. Doing Hoffman was very powerful for me. When I Hoffman for almost a year, I hired a Hoffman instructor to coach me. And on a daily basis, I did a practice with Hoffman. I still do a little bit of that, you know, and I'm going to do some more today uh, with this situation because, you know, it's out of my system, but I want to just get rid of any residual negativity about how I've been behaving. And yeah. Jennifer gave me some, some ideas. I just, I, I just went to her. I said, look, I know you're my client now. I'm not yours, but which Hoffman process should I do? And she said, I said, should I do the recycling? And she said, yeah, you should, but you should do more than that. And she gave me some non-Hoffman stuff too. And then I go to my men. I, you know, I have men, Justin Sterling, I don't know if you remember, said, sure. go find your men. Sure. And I found my men, I think, you know, and I'm finding new ones all the time. 
not all the time, but I'm finding new ones as I go through life. So I've got, I go to my men, I, I, I bring things to them. I ask them for their feedback. You know, I go, I got to talk to my coaches. Uh, my lady works with me in my, in the business. So there's business related stuff. I go to her and I go, look, this is what's going on. How do you think we can handle it? She's a great operations person. She's, uh, all the things I'm not, I'm like a driver and a people guy. She's a people person, but she's also very detail oriented and meticulous. So we make a good team. Cool. Those are the kinds of things that I do, man. I may get down on myself and it may even last, but it doesn't last too long. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't do it alone. I got this thing, uh, Patrick, about being successful in 2018. I say, hashtag don't do 2018 alone. Great. That's fantastic guidance, by the way. Great advice. The work that you do, you know, your journaling, uh, your your fitness routine, I can sometimes get busy and talk myself out of it. So, you know, I don't anymore. I've, I'm really back into my practice in a full-on way. Every day I do it. I'm committed to doing it. I, I happen to be an early riser, always have been. So, you know, from 5 till about 7 a.m., 7.30, it's all about me. And it's my practice, my working out physically, my journaling, my reading, you know, I'll, I'll fire off a few emails and, 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 and because of my connections into Toronto, I'm sometimes on the phone early, but because of the time difference, Vancouver to Ontario, how sure. important is, do you, do you really see just how important that work is for you? If you're giving people guidance around that, and if you were to, how would you explain the impact of doing that work? Because as much as I've coached people around doing that kind of work, they get sidetracked. They, they don't see the benefits of it. Is there, what's your experience with that when you're coaching some of your men or, or women? So this is actually not specific to men, the, the journals yes, and whatnot. It's of part of what we do for thought right. leaders. Yeah. So what I tell people is when you journal and you have some negative energy in your body, journaling can get it out of your body. So that's good for you because it prevents, you know, heart attacks, cancer, stroke, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that's number one. Number two is if you're using a gratitude journal, you are creating the energy of gratitude. And you and I, Patrick, we know that the energy of gratitude is a big part of the law of attraction. When you're grateful for something, you're going to attract it to you, right? So, I mean, I'll just read my, my daily six for you. They're really simple. Six things I'm grateful for. My strong, steady heartbeat. My powerful immune system. My pain-free head, neck, and teeth. I've had, I had some issues with that in the past. My burgeoning $2 million 2018 income my lean 30-inch waist and eight-pack abs, and lifting weights pain-free. I write that down every morning, and I read it to myself in the evening. And this creates an energy of as though it's already real. You know what I mean? And many of these things have already come true, but I'm going to continue to be grateful for them. And then I write three things I love about others. So today I wrote uh, my, my son, Kamran. He's a great boy, and he loves my company. My son, Kayvon. He's a great boy and he loves to play. And my lady, Teresa, she is, she's a great woman and she loves my company. So I write this every day and it just makes it more real. And then I write down three things I'm proud of in my brag book. So, you know, what I wrote this morning was three things I'm proud of is I helped three, three people hit a million dollars in income last year. I helped 15 people add a hundred K to 300 K to their income. And then I did three breakthrough calls with prospects yesterday where I got to serve them. These are things that I write down that I'm proud of. And that's not always the same thing. It's not always related to what happened immediately. It could be five months ago, a year ago, whatever. But it's all 
this creates an energy of attraction and brings it to you. So when I tell clients, I go, look, you want to make this real? You need daily practice. You can't be a dabbler in life. You can't be a dabbler in your business. You got to be playing to win. There are three ways you can play the game of life and the game of business. You can play to win, you can play not to lose, and you can play to lose. I'll give you an analogy, Patrick. What's your favorite sport? Team sport. Oh, favorite team sport? When I play, I I really, really dig volleyball. Volleyball. Okay, great. Volleyball. So you're playing volleyball. You know when a team's playing to win. They're going for every point. They're digging out balls. They're aggressive. They're hungry. They're just going for the victory, right? Then you know the team that's playing not to lose. They may have a lead. They, they want to not screw it up, right? Their attitude, the way they're standing is a little more defensive in nature. And then there's a the team that's playing to lose. Mentally, they don't think they belong on the same court as the team, as the other team. And they're just going through the motions. And that's true for any sport, if you think about it, right? You have to ask yourself every day, am I playing to win? Am I playing not to lose? Am I playing to lose? And if you're playing not to lose or to lose in business, you're done. And if you're playing to win, you got a journal. That's mandatory. You got to exercise. You got to eat well. Your body is the vehicle that fuels your success. Without it, you're done. So that's mandatory. Journaling, that's mandatory. That's what's going to get all the bad stuff out of you. It's going to get the creativity out of you too. So if you come up with great ideas, you can write them out. And that's what's going to allow you to go forward and win in life. And it's so necessary. And here's what I say to clients. Don't tell me you're playing to win. Show me. And how you show me is you're doing your daily rituals and routines. I love that. I so believe in that. And uh, that's my own practice. Okay. So we're going to wind it up. We could go on this for a long time, Nikki. Some rapid fire questions for you. Go for it. What's your favorite swear word? Fuck. <laughs> it's a, that's probably seven out of 10 would say that, but I've had some others that were really good too. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Do you have a favorite quote? You know what? Winston Churchill, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the cities. We shall fight in the villages. We shall fight everywhere all the time. We shall never, ever surrender. Love that's it. my favorite quote. Love it. And that's in line with your just general intensity. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that movie Darkest Hour with about Winston Churchill that was out recently? I know I haven't seen it. I've heard a lot about it. I just haven't taken the time to watch it, but that's you definitely got, on my you, list. You've got to watch that movie. It's okay. the best movie of the last five years. Everybody's yeah. told me that, so I got to get on it. What profession other than what you're doing right now would you like to attempt? If I had this talent, professional soccer player, brother, <laughs> so I play with my balls. That's awesome. So if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Welcome, my son. On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? How weird am I? Yeah. A ten. <laughs> I got to give you a twelve. Okay. So what are you just really not very good at, Nikki? Oh, Jesus. Cleaning up after myself. I got to be honest. I, I have to work at that. Um, my cleaning lady quits, and that's not good. I gotta, I'm looking for a new one. <laughs> it's, uh, that's because she walked in and go, what a freaking mess. I can't handle this. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably, probably. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm so not good at so many things that would be a long list. Me too. She said the most thing I'm not good at. We could go into it, but I'd rather not focus on those things. Exactly. So 
you've got a lot of books that you're reading. Is there one that really stands out for you as what's the most impactful book that you've read? Patrick, so I read about 80 books a year. Okay, right. I've read a few thousand books in my lifetime. That's a tall order for me to come up with one. But I will tell you that the book that had the most seminal impact on me, I read when I was 20 years old, and it's called Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. And um, this book changed my life. First of all, I read it while I had an essay to write, and I, and I, I would read, and I would write that essay. I slept three hours that week when I, when I did that book. And that book shaped the core of my philosophy. Now, there's a lot about Ayn Rand that, you know, she was a little negative and strident and so forth. But the core of her message that you and I, I am responsible for my life. No one owes me anything except for myself. That's such a powerful message. Oh, it turned it me into who I am today. And if if you're listening to this, you got to read that book and you got to buy the movie on on DVD, I actually just gave it to my partner and, you know, he didn't really value it too much, but, you know, I'm going to tell him this is, this is a seminal, 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 uh, message that's in this book and you'll get a lot out of it. So, so. Say, say the name again, just so we pick it up twice. Atlas Shrugged. Got it. Book and movie on three DVDs. Awesome. A couple that I'm reading that I read, some books that stand out for me recently in, in let's say in the past couple of years that I read. The Obstacle is the Way, awesome book. Ego is the Enemy, awesome book. Uh, Tribe of Mentors, great book. So those are kind of some of mine. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I could give you a, a whole list of stuff that I read. I read a biography of General George S. Patton. It was good. Yeah. Uh, I read a biography of uh, Robert E. Lee uh, called Clouds of Glory. Glory, uh, phenomenal man. Uh, Robert E. Lee was. Uh, he fought for the South, but he, he, you know, he, he, he didn't own slaves at the time. He was against slavery, but he was for his state. When a state went against the Union, he went there. That's a, a phenomenal book. Um, I, I read the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Oh, I'm, really I'm, I'm, I'm actually studying Stoicism right now, and uh, cool. and that's part of the journal I'm creating. So I'll give you cool. a, one of the things that I'm doing. So I'm journaling a lot, I, and I have for years, and I've got shelves full of my journals and different stuff. I've recently you know. become in the past couple of years, a grandfather twice over, but I realized oh, for me is cool. that one of the other reasons that I've given myself for journaling and I share this with you is that I realized that, you know, at this point in my life and, you know, I'm going to live to a hundred. So that's really cool. That puts my, you know, my granddaughter and grandson at around 40. And so when I move on to the other world, what I want to leave with them is my journals. I want them to nice. be able to see what the heck was going on in my grandfather's head. And for my daughter, of course, Erin, you know, she, her and I are tight, tight, tight. We have amazing conversations. But I also want to share with her, you know, my day-to-day -day trials and thought processes and what I went through and how I handled certain things. So I'm actually now, beyond doing it for me, I'm doing it for my, my children and, and, and my grandchildren. So that's just my sharing my story. So how quickly we go off on a tangent, Nikki. Okay. So great books. There's, you got to read. Okay. Now this is an interesting question for you, given what your other response was room, desk, or car. What do you clean first? Desk. What's your favorite tune? Um, right now I'm digging. Wouldn't it be nice by Nick Kershaw? Cool. Favorite movie. Winston Churchill. 
you know, lately it's Winston Churchill, but my favorite movie of all time is The Sands Over Iwo Jima, starring John Wayne. Wow, that's an old, that's a, that is really an old movie. It's a phenomenal movie. I don't know if uh, you've seen it lately or if you've ever no, seen it. But I've seen it, but it was a, that's, a, that's, a, that's definitely an old movie. It, it, listen, if you want to be inspired, any John Wayne movie will do, but this is one of the best yeah, it is a great, uh, he great ever movie. did. It is uh, the, the power uh, and the emotional and inspirational impact of this movie is bar none. I think every, uh, every young man should watch John Wayne movies. And in particular, this movie and another movie he did called The Searchers. I don't know if you remember that movie. Young Natalie Wood uh, starred in that movie with him as well. Uh, Searchers, uh, many people say it's his greatest ever role. He should have won an Oscar for it. He didn't, but it, phenomenal. Those are two incredible, incredible movies. Cool. Aside from what you gave us on the list, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful to be on this podcast, Patrick. This has been an extraordinary conversation. I have to say it's the longest podcast interview I've ever been on. And it's actually been wonderful. It's opened so much up for me. Uh, it's made me think, man, I got to I gotta hang out with Patrick more. I got to talk to him more. I got to come uh, come do stuff with him in, in the summer. And hell, maybe we should find something we can do uh, at a business level at some point too. But I'm just like, I like Patrick Francie a lot. <laughs> We're going to have some fun. Listen, I always like to share what I'm grateful for, which is always my guest that's on the show. I'm grateful for the individuals that we get to have an impact. Uh, you know, success is simple to me, significantly impacting many people's lives every day. That's always been my goal. That's my mantra to myself. Supporting others' success is what lights me up and what drives me. I'm incredibly grateful for my family and the life I live, and I appreciate it always. And in my journal, when I talk about gratitude, it is always about my family and my health and my ability to have an impact on others and to get to meet and reconnect with uh, people like you, Nikki. Appreciate it so much. Thanks, man. Thanks, pal. Oh, no, it's really wonderful. It's really wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I put down um, uh, gratitude for my kids and my, and my lady almost every day. Three things I like about others is always about them. It's awesome. Thanks again. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.